WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Mushrooms are really complex and they can thrive in many different environments. Daniel and I actually really like them. We eat lion's mane, maitake, beech, and so many other different mushrooms. Today we're talking to Alessandro So about his research on mushrooms. Thanks for joining us today. Can you please tell us about your research? Hello, my name is Alessandro So, and I am an undergraduate researcher working in Dr. Benito's lab. My project focuses on germinating, culturing, sequencing, and observing an order of fungi called the Pisaizales. Thanks for joining us this morning, Alison. To get this interview started, what are some common mushrooms that people may know that exist within the order of Pizizeli? That's actually a really good question. Pizizeles contain a lot of financially important fungi, such as morels or truffles. I know up in Michigan, it's kind of a big thing to go out and collect morels. Yeah, I actually remember last year, Daniel and I tried to go find morels, and we just couldn't. They are very rare and also very expensive here in Michigan. We've tried them before, though, and they're very delicious. Now, you had said that you were germinating and sequencing these mushrooms. Why are you doing that, and what are you hoping to learn from it? A lot of the species within the order are small, nondescript cup fungi. So if you're walking in the forest, um, you'll see your regular, like you mentioned, maitake or lion's mane. There's also a group of fungi that are in small little cups. And those are notoriously difficult to work with because you can't really get a clean tissue culture or anything like that. So if we germinate them from spores, we're able to get a clean culture of the fungus and we're able to sequence its DNA and observe how it relates with the other fungi within the order. Indeed, they are notoriously difficult to find in nature. But how are you getting the spores in the first place? I would imagine that you have to get them from either a currently growing mushroom colony somewhere in the forest, are you the one that's actually going and collecting these spores, or are you getting them from somewhere that does it for you? So last year, some collaborators went out uh, into the forest. There was some collections from Florida and some from Michigan. And what we'll do is we'll get the little cup and we'll put it in an empty Petri dish. And these have a structure called assai. And this is basically a little cannon that'll shoot spores out of the fruiting body. So we'll be able to use this mechanism to collect spores by having it shoot onto the lid of the Petri dish. And then we'll dry the sample. So we have that for an herbarium collection. And then we have a Petri dish full of spores that we'll be able to work with later on. You were mentioning the word cup. Do you mean like the cap of the mushrooms? Or are you gathering these mushrooms in cups to grow them after? These mushrooms don't actually form caps. They don't form gills. They'll form a surface of, of assy, and that'll a lot of times be this sort of concave bowl structure almost. And that's where the spores will shoot out of rather than gills. So we'll put the mushroom in something called a Petri dish, and that's just either a glass or a plastic little container that we do a lot of our work in. Being as difficult as they are to find these mushrooms out in the wild, one would imagine that they have really specific growing conditions. How have you optimized the growing conditions for your spores, and at what rate are these spores growing at? Do you actually see a difference in the growth? 
a lot of the times, if they are saprotrophic fungi, they will germinate just on this unmodified kind of general media. And we're able to observe these spores germinating under a microscope. It's almost similar to a seed opening where you'll see something called a germ tube, which is just one piece of mycelium that will come out of the fungal spore. And it kind of depends on the fungus that we're growing, but some take overnight to germinate and some may take two or three weeks. It just depends on how optimal the conditions are for the fungus and how old the collection is. Now, you say that you're studying P. zizales. In the variety of mushrooms that you're looking at, are any of them poisonous? I don't believe so. A lot of these aren't really even edible or necessarily even been studying, studied to be eaten because they're so small. But there are, like I said, the, the common edible ones such as morels and a lot of truffles. But most of them are kind of just random little pieces of fungus that nobody really eats. Even though you're working with non-edible mushrooms, I'm definitely getting hungry throughout this episode. I wanted to expand on what you were talking about earlier and how you were genetically sequencing these mushrooms. What exactly is the information that you're trying to understand? What is the information that you're trying to understand from this genetic sequencing? Due to the fact that a lot of these are so small, and a lot of them do look similar, by sequencing them, not only are we able to determine if what we grew was actually the fungus that we got the spore print from because a lot of the times, especially when we're collecting them, other spores could land on the plate. So the first reason is to make sure that we're growing what we thought we were growing. And the second reason is, and I guess the more broad reason, is we're trying to create a phylogenetic tree and that will place each collection on a tree, kind of like the tree of life, and we'll be able to understand and visually see how closely related or unrelated all the fungi that we've grown are. And this is important because a lot of these aren't really well documented or studied, and this will just help us understand fungal evolution just that much more. I think it's good that you're working to verify this phylogenetic tree through genetic sequencing. For those in our audience that are not familiar with genetic sequencing, can you walk us through what that's like and what do you do afterwards with it? Of course. So once a plate's grown out with the spore, mycelium, which is the main body of the fungus, it's like this little white, most of the time, strands of hair almost right on the plate. And then what we'll do is take some of those hairs and put those in something called extraction solution. And then we'll put that in our thermocycler and that'll boil the solution and sort of lyse the cells and break out the DNA. And then we'll go through and do this sort of involved biochemistry, or we'll eventually be able to sequence the ITS region of the fungus, which is the internal transcribed spacer region. And that gives us ID of what the um, fungus is. And there's several other. And so once we've got our sequences back, what we'll do is we have a program and we'll be able to look at the um, DNA sequence and see how good the sequence is. And that kind of shows us if there's any missing spaces in the strand that didn't get um, read by the machine. Or if they, what we do is we'll have a reverse primer and a forward primer and we'll overlap those. And that, that way we can get a consensus sequence and that sequence will be able to tell us exactly what our fungus is. And then we'll be able to upload that to our program to make the phylogenetic tree. For me, genetic sequencing is only really half of the game right there because the other half is understanding what kind of physical characteristics do these genes translate into. I understand that these fungi are small, but are you actually able to characterize the specific genes to the physical traits that are observed for these fungi? That is possible now, but we're not doing that currently in our lab. Right now, we're just focusing on getting the quick ID. 
what we will do later on is since we're only sequencing a specific region of the DNA, we're not able to look at all of the genes. So we can do something called uh, C-type extraction and we'll be able to get a full genomic sequence. And that way we'll be able to see any genes that are, um, we'll be able to see any genes that repeat within the order or any genes that are different between species within the order. And that'll further help us be able to determine how they evolved and how they relate to each other. So I actually participate in a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, and I get a delivery of mushrooms to me every other week from Agape Farms. I know personally that mushrooms grow at different times of the year because of the temperature and the environment. How are you able to recreate these environments in the lab? I know that you said earlier a little bit about how it's grown, but could you tell us more details? So what we'll do is we'll have the spore print on the Petri dish, and then we'll go to the lab and we'll look under a microscope and we'll get something called a micropipette, which is basically just an accurate syringe. And we'll put water onto these spores and make something called a spore slurry. So it's just a solution of sterile water and the spores. And then that water, we'll be able to put that onto a Petri dish with agar on it. And we'll be able to look under the microscope at the spores germinating if they do. And once they germinate, we'll do a thing called single spore isolation, which is where we find a spore far off from the rest of the spores, and we'll cut that out of the plate and put that on a new plate. And that ensures that there's no trading of any genetics or that if it's, um, let's say, two different fungi, they won't compete, and then we'll be able to separately sequence them and work with them. So in this project, we're not actually growing the mushroom, but we are growing and culturing the mycelium of the fungus. But if we were to grow some of the fungi that are commonly eaten, we do have a room that we put bags of colonized sawdust in, and then we'll cut those bags open. And then there's a room that's quite humid and kind of cold, and the fungi really like that. And then they'll be able to fruit um, out of the bags. I know I've personally tried growing plants, and I always fail. So I can't imagine me growing fungi would be any better. I have to ask, you mentioned that you were a freshman in your introduction. How did you go straight from high school to joining a research laboratory right into college? As we all know, we went through a pandemic and I had, some would say, too much free time. So I was able to look into how to grow fungi and read a lot of books. So I was kind of fixated on it and I grew a lot of them during the summer. And then just by chance, I had met Dr. Benito and we set up an interview and I talked to him about what I wanted to do and I just got picked up onto the team. I remember when I was in my undergraduate studies that I was in a few laboratories, which really helped guide me on what I wanted to do in the future. Did working in this lab already help guide you and influence you into thinking about what you might want to do for the future? Absolutely. Working with the people that I work with and doing the work that I do has been really influential in building what I find interesting and what I can do in the future. I, I switched my major to more align with the work I'm doing because I'm really passionate about it. And I can see myself getting really good at it and hopefully discovering some new way to culture or grow fungi or new fungi in general. Well, if it's edible, I hope you let us try it. You're making me really hungry right now. I think I'm going to go make some mushroom gravy. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed hearing about your research. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.